0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Where We Going Today podcast. Today is episode 8 of the Asia Diaries, part 2 of our pilgrimage that we've been on. Not long ago, a group of us, mainly from the U.S., convened in Thailand for an 11-day pilgrimage of great Buddhist sites around this great Buddhist country. If my audio seems particularly funky, it's because I'm dealing with some illness, which I'll get to shortly. But we're to begin with regards to part two of the pilgrimage. After some time spent in Bangkok, we are getting ready to transition to Isan, the northeast part of Thailand, where we're going to be focusing primarily on forest meditations in the Thai Khamatana tradition, the lineage of Lung Pu Mun. But in any case, before we be- departed from Bangkok, we had kind of a neat episode that was not, of course, related to the pilgrimage itself. We've been staying in a hotel that I've been staying in a number of times over the last many months. A comfortable place with excellent food, street food nearby, including a particular Halal restaurant that I patronize regularly. And just a few mornings ago, a few of us were at this restaurant having breakfast before we departed for the day when one of us suddenly noticed, out of nowhere seemingly, a huge snake materialized in the middle of a busy street. It was only about 30 feet away and heavy traffic flowing in all directions, and yet there's a snake about six, seven, or perhaps even eight feet long in the middle of the street, and then suddenly moving very quickly directly toward us as we hung out in this little outdoor cafe adjacent to the street. I don't know what kind of snake it was. My first impression was something like a boa constrictor or something like that, but for all I know it could have been a cobra. I couldn't tell, but immediately one of the shopkeepers grabbed a broom and tried to sweep it away as it was moving directly toward our tables and toward where their food preparation area was as it was an outdoor cafe. It was definitely an interesting scene. The snake frantically tried to seek some sort of cover and eventually found a crack in the sidewalk and slithered into it despite the efforts of the staff to try and shoo it away. Eventually an animal control type service arrived and I was told that they were able to extract the snake from underneath the sidewalk, which I found unlikely. It seems to be hard to actually draw a snake out of some particularly or potentially deep crack system underneath the sidewalk. But in any case, a number of days later, the manager of my hotel, having heard that I had a video of the incident, said that officials wanted to see the video for public safety reasons. I thought that was sort of interesting. Anyhow, for those so inclined, check out my Facebook page where I posted a reel of this big and upset snake in the middle of our lovely halal breakfast. Anyhow, eventually our trusted van driver that we'd hired and already spent a couple of great days with around Bangkok, he picked us up to take us to Isan in the northeast of the country. As they said, we'd have him, theoretically at least, for about five days. That morning before we departed, when we had our daily briefing, we would do a short meditation. We'd talk about what to expect of the day to kind of prep everybody. I started to feel a little unwell started to don a mask, not sure what was going on, but wanting to protect others in our group from potentially getting sick. But eventually our van driver arrived, as I said, and picked us up. And we started a long journey of some five hours to a small village called Hawaii Lang, about an hour beyond Nakon Rakshasima, which we might also know as Korat. A forest monk friend of mine I met many years ago, runs a monastery in Suthep in the north of Thailand and also another monastery in Hawaii Telang. I'd only been to his monastery for a period of five days or so once before and I was really happy to return. No surprise to me at all how this place given the character of the monk who runs it has such a peaceful ambiance to it. I think perhaps I've shared before but if not I'll share again that this land was all agricultural land before the monastery was developed some 15 or so years ago I think it was and when the land was donated to construct a forest monastery it was just that agricultural land and so the community planted trees and vegetation in order to develop it into a forest monastery they built a wall around the compound and now 15 or so years later Inside this compound surrounded by sugarcane fields is a lovely, deeply dark and forested monastery that is just charming. And so when our group arrived, I could sense the oohs and the ahs from the participants. People loved the vibe, how peaceful and tranquil and relatively comfortable it was under the shade of the trees. We met with my friend, Ajahn Pricha or Prasarapano next to a small pond and it was quite lovely for the people to get to meet with a real forest monk and to ask questions about what it was like to be a forest monk about his life and his practice and being that he was educated in english in australia it was very satisfying i think for all of our participants in the pilgrimage to engage in such a meaningful way with him So after we met with him, he proposed that perhaps it would be a good use of our time if we did some mindful raking and sweeping of the property. This is not, of course, only a mindfulness exercise, but also a practical one. The various paths around the monastery grounds should be swept routinely because, perhaps again, as I may have shared before, when the sugarcane fields surrounding the monastery are plowed each season, or cut however you want to characterize it, each season, the cobras that live in there flee, seek refuge within the forested confines of the monastery. Matter of fact, just a couple of days before we arrived Professor told us that he'd been sitting in the very spot where we were meeting with him when a king cobra went slithering by. So to sweep and rake the walking areas in the areas surrounding structures on the monastery grounds has the practical purpose of making it easier to see things like venomous snakes. We've seen the exact same sort of thing in places like Costa Rica. So as our group was sweeping and raking the grounds, trying to cultivate mindfulness while also serving this practical purpose, I couldn't help but notice that that not-so-well feeling I had in the morning had started to progress into a more discernible sense of, I think I'm getting sick, but I tried to stick with it nonetheless. We were able to stay in a rustic little motel just a few miles away from the monastery, and in the morning, we left very early to head deeper into Isan. Our first stop was a place called Wat Pan the great and legendary Thai force meditation master called Ajahn Chah, of whom there are many, many great and inspiring stories. He was a fabulous teacher and many anecdotes surrounding his colorful life, had established Wat as a designated monastery training ground for foreign monastics word of his fame and his stellar reputation spread to practitioners around the globe, not just in Asia. And of course in time, Canadians and English and even some American spiritual seekers came to Ajahn Chah asking for education in the Buddhist way of life. And eventually he recognized that although the Buddhist way of life is universal, one could benefit from being within a familiar context. In other words, not so exotic as to get lost in the unusual flavors of the new space. And so he founded Wat Pananachat as a designated international forest monastery. And so it was a great opportunity for us to not only visit this immaculate and incredibly welcoming place, not far at all from Ajahn Chah's monastery itself, which I'll get to momentarily, but although the head monk was away in Germany at the time, we were able to meet with a Czech monk, a senior monk there, who spoke some Thai, but of course also great English, and we spent an hour or so there, and he engaged us in a and a with our community. Mind you, it wasn't only our smallish group, primarily from the States, as part of our pilgrimage. Once we'd met with Prasarapano in Korat, He also introduced perhaps 20 or 30 people of his own community who joined us on this whole thing. So when we went with the monk at Wat Pananachat, it was an entourage of perhaps 35 people. And so it was an energetic and lively opportunity to come together a variety of cultures in an inspiring and lively and meditative space. When we left Wat Pananachat, it was just a few minutes away, as I said. We headed over now to Ajahn Chah's temple, Wat Nong Papong. Many, many great stories about this particular monastery, but quite frankly, Wat Pananachat had something Zen like about it, dare I say, in its aesthetics, which of course is tuned well to my eye. I love the feel, I love the immaculate cleanliness, I love the visual aesthetic of it. Wat Pananachat was stellar and glorious. Wat Papong was wonderful, but felt more aged, more wild, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But it left a less favorable impression upon me from a purely aesthetic standpoint. It's roots, of course, are deep and magnificent and not to be overlooked, period. But, you know, I think the thing that I appreciated most about being at Wat Nang Nang Popong was the opportunity to visit the very crematory where Ajahn Chah himself was cremated around 1993, I think it was. The story goes that while he was being cremated, it overheated so much that the giant chimney above the crematorium developed cracks and flames and whatnot started to shoot out the sides. Eventually, they constructed this into a stupa, a pagoda, where now some of the great master's relics are housed inside of it, and we have an opportunity to visit and pay respects into observe these very relics on display inside of this place. We also had an opportunity to spend a few moments at Ajahn Chah's Kuti. That is his dwelling structure, the place where he would entertain guests and sometimes share relaxing anecdotes with some of his dear students. Some of the most favorable memories, as I've been told, of his students, of their time with the great master. We couldn't spend a lot of time at Ajahn Chah's monastery because we still had a long drive to a third temple for the day. I don't know what I was expecting of this temple. It wasn't previously on my, my radar, but had been presented as part of the context when Professor Panyo proposed it. But it would end up being a special place. It's called Wat Don, excuse me, Wat Don Tat. Wat Don Tat is, I was told, the oldest forest monastery, established in 1938 by Lung Pu Sao, who was Lung Pu Mun's mentor. I've talked a lot about Lung Pu Mun, but an interesting story about Lung Pu Sao is that although he was Lung Pu Mun's mentor, in time Lung Pu Mun exceeded his mentor's expertise in meditation, and in turn became the teacher of the teacher, and led him all the way to the end of the Buddhist path to final enlightenment. In any case, Lung Sao established monastery, as they said, around 1938 on an island in the middle of the Moon River. And so when you get there, you have to take a ferry just a short distance, a couple hundred meters across the river out to the island. And there's a beautiful, very jungly monastery there. With perhaps 15 or so monks living there, including the head monk who happened to be longtime dear friends with Prof. Surapanyu. Excuse me. A remnant of the illness I haven't continued talking about just yet. <clears throat> but in any case, a longtime friend of Prof. Panio, And we spent some good time with this energetic and interesting. Monk who likes to laugh and tell stories, it seems. <clears throat> I should probably talk a little bit more, given my struggles in the moment, about the illness. The illness continued to progress, and it wasn't long before my throat was unbearably sore. I could no longer speak without a great deal of pain and the fever was very, very high and of course the fatigue was terrible. I tried to weather through it and just endure given that I was the leader of this highly anticipated pilgrimage. But In any case, I wasn't feeling so well but doing the best I could. So that night we stayed in Uban Rachatani, which is where Wat Dun Tat is situated. We stayed in a small rustic resort of sorts and then in the morning we once again got up very early to head back to the same monastery because we'd been invited to do something that is special and unusual and that was to follow the forest monks as they went on alms round with their so-called begging bulls in a nearby village. So we took the ferry over to the island where we met the monks And then we all got on the boat, which took us along the river a short distance, at which time the monks got out on the bank and we followed and proceeded to walk barefoot and follow them on their path as villagers offered them alms food into their bowls. Again, anyone who is following the Courtney Purcell Facebook page, you can see a recent reel I posted of the monks on alms round from this area perhaps 20 monks and it was a really, really wonderful experience to be part of this process of walking on alms round with the monks. Eventually it was time to depart and head on to some of the other places that we hope to visit on this particular excursion. I had talked to Professor Apanyo about any opportunities we might have to visit some historically significant places for Lung Puman himself and he proposed we see Lung Puman's birthplace. That was a nice experience. It was the structure that he was appor- apparently born and raised in. I don't know much about it because by then I was so sick I was largely coherent. But I do remember walking upstairs and sitting for a few moments and just admiring the space where the great master had been born and spent some time living. But perhaps what was even more interesting, despite my sickness fog, was we visited a temple, as I recall, it was called Wapulun. I could be wrong in the name, but not far away at all. And this is where Lumpuman reportedly, or purportedly, gained the first stage of enlightenment. Some sources claim it was not here but elsewhere, but in any case, there is a cave on top of this hill where this monastery is, and on the outside of the cave it is written that this is the very cave where Lungphuman practiced meditation. Interpret that as you like. But in any case, there's a possibility that he attained some elevated states of consciousness while meditating. In this particular cave, it was simply wonderful to spend some time up there and to think that the great master perhaps had a significant meditative breakthrough in this very space nearly a hundred years ago, perhaps. Well, so that was going to be the last stop of the day, but yet we still had a long, long drive ahead of us because we had another full day planned before to take place in the future. But what happened was this, I started to feel so terrible that members of our entourage started to express concern that perhaps I should go to the doctor and so we managed to find a clinic on the side of the road in some town that I have no idea where it was and so we got off and through the aid of an interpreter, I was able to explain my symptoms, and they said, oh, you need to be COVID tested. Now, of course, that was already my suspicion, but they promptly took me outside, gave me a COVID test, and within a couple of minutes said, you're positive, and then sent me to the hospital. And the hospital was a smooth affair. They gave me some medicine and some advice, and I went to bed. Well, it was clear by the next morning that I was in no position to continue leading the retreat. And so as a group, we decided that we were going to call this pilgrimage to a close prematurely. We didn't have any formal closure and we didn't get to see some of the places that we'd still anticipated seeing as part of our itinerary. But in any case, we made our way back to Bangkok, where for a number of days now, I have been trying to recover in isolation in a hotel room I'm feeling better but perhaps doing a little bit of rambling and not entirely clear-headed and for that I apologize but in any case I appreciate you checking out episode eight the second half of our pilgrimage and although it was cut short it was delightful nonetheless I'd like to personally thank all the participants for being part of the energy that made it beautiful and what it was, and I'd also like to thank each of you for listening. I appreciate you taking the time and having the interest in what I have to share. If anybody has any questions or comments or requests, please do let me know. I'd be happy to address those. Thank you again for your time, and I wish you all well. Take care. Bye-bye.